In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The text for this morning's sermon is the Gospel appointed for Sexagesima, the Gospel according to St. Luke, the 8th chapter, beginning at verse 4. And when a great multitude had gathered and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word of, with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. Thus far the Gospel of our Lord. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Christ our Lord speaks to us in a parable this morning, a parable that is likely very familiar to you. And for those of you who have been here more than a couple of years, you're also pretty familiar with how I preach it. How I wish I could be the seed-sowing sharpshooter. How I long for a formula that works as certainly as math. How the once saved, always saved people are clearly wrong. Because our Lord makes it plain that in some cases the seed actually starts to grow and then dies. This morning, let's look at this from a different angle. Let's concentrate on one thing. The seed. The parable doesn't say this, but if the sower of the seed had been sowing sand or pebbles... It's clear 
that there would have been no chance of anything coming of it. If we would have faith stand even a chance of springing up and growing to maturity, we have to sow the seed. What is that seed? Well, that's no mystery. Our Lord tells us point blank. The seed is the Word of God. Critical to understanding the Word of God is the recognition that it contains two very different teachings. One is the law. The other is the gospel. They both offer you eternal life and they both do so with absolute sincerity. The law tells you that if you'll be perfect and sinless, you can have eternal life. The Gospel sort of imperatively invites you to trust in Christ and His perfect atoning sacrifice for you to give you eternal life. The law can't deliver, of course, not because there's anything wrong with the law, but because there's something wrong with you. You're a fallen sinner. You can't be perfect enough to earn eternal life. So the law serves only to drive us to a recognition of our sins and our need for the Gospel. If we are to have eternal life, it has to be given us as a gift And it is by grace, through faith, in Jesus our Savior. If this honest law and gospel Word of God seed is not what we're sowing, nothing is going to grow. And I'm here to tell you that today in America that is by and large exactly what is happening. I saw a chart of statistics on various denominations recently. All of the major denominations are losing members. All of them. Growing up in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, I always heard that it was a 2.7 million member denomination. Its president has recently been referring to it as a 2 million member denomination. And at their convention this coming summer, he will almost certainly report that it has dropped to even less than that. The more liberal evangelical Lutheran church in America, 5.2 million members, I believe, when that merger took place in 1988, down to less than 3 million now. But all of them Episcopalians, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists. You've heard me say several times that recently for the first time in a long time, if ever, less than 50% of Americans are members of any sort of a religious organization at all. It's not just our congregation. My pastor friends almost unanimously report the same thing And it's reflected in these national trends. And why is that? 
Generalizations are only true in general, of course. There are exceptions. But by and large, the Christian church in America is imploding, and it's imploding because we are not sowing the seed. Many years ago, a couple of so-called ministers arose and began promulgating a similarly seedless message. Those men were Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller. And the core theme of their message was the power of positive thinking. It is carried on today in Houston, among other places. It seemed like something of an anomaly at the time, but it has overrun the nation. I never realized when, when I was, that I was being propagandized as a child by the little train that could. But it was there. If you'll just believe in yourself, you can do it. How often have you heard someone encourage another to think positive? How often have you seen someone hold up their hand to shush another real or imagined person and say, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. In both cases, it comes down to either affirm my fundamental goodness or go away. The power of positive thinking. How about the power of realistic thinking? How about the power of truthful thinking. If you imagine that you can swim from France to England and you try it, you're going to drown. And it's not because I just rained on your power of positive thinking. It's because none of you are that good a swimmer. Truthful thinking. More to the point... You don't just have a weakness in the swimming department. You have a weakness in the righteousness department. You are sinners. And as long as you are addicted to this delusion of your own goodness, that problem is never going to get dealt with. Be realistic. Be truthful. Believe the Word of God. Water the true seed that is already growing in your own hearts. Confess your sin. Repent. And trust in Christ Jesus for your salvation. As a consequence of the church's failure to hit the power of positive thinking heresy head-on, three critical biblical truths or dogmas are being lost. I've already alluded to one of them, the doctrine of sin. The entire 
concept of sin seems to be being defined in the minds of far too many people as something of a trivial misstep. Do not trivialize the judgment of God. On account of our sins, God is provoked to wrath. And it is no trivial thing to end up on the short end of that. As an imperfect sinner, you are by nature not eligible for admission to a perfect heaven. And you cannot deal with this problem yourself. Only Christ could make atonement for sin. So repent and cling to Him alone. Cling hard. Cling for all your worth. He is the sole source of salvation. The second thing that gets lost with this power of positive thinking nonsense is a recognition of the reality of the devil. When I was a kid, you could get a can of red devil tuna fish in the store. It had a cartoon character man looking thing, but with red skin, horns, a tail with a pointy thing that looked like a spade at the end of it, and of course a pitchfork. The mighty enemy of your salvation reduced a little more than a cartoon character. You must, you must take the devil seriously. In the struggle against even your own sin, you cannot win this on your own. You need power greater than the power of this very real evil one. Take heart, you have it. The Scriptures promise greater is He that is in you than He that is in the world. But the seed of God's Word is not even embraced, let alone sown, if the seriousness of sin and the power of the devil are not taken seriously. Finally, third thing that gets all but dismissed with this addiction to positivism. Hell. People who don't take sin seriously will quite naturally not take seriously the threat of God's temporal and eternal punishment. Broad is the gate and wide is the path that leads to destruction. God is perfect. And that means, among other things, that His justice is perfect. He isn't the sweet, long, white-haired, grandfatherly old man that, again, is a cartoon character version of him. He certainly isn't Drew Carey in the movie Bruce Almighty or George Burns in the movie 
O God. Perfect justice means that every sin must be perfectly punished. Jesus bore that punishment for us, atoning for the sin of the world. What an awesome gift God has given you in Christ. Can you imagine responding to the gift of Christ by saying to God, go away. I'm a good person. I don't need that sinner negativity stuff in my life. Will God, who so generously sacrificed His own Son so that we can have eternal life, will He hold guiltless the person who casts that aside because they're afraid that it'll throw them off their groove? Dear ones in Christ, as we draw near to Lent, do not be deceived, even if those deceptions are in the air you breathe and the water you drink and the movies that you watch on television. Sin is real. It's serious. It must be dealt with. And the only one who can and actually has successfully dealt with it is Christ. Believe this and sow this seed, lest you be found to be sowing nothing at all. The devil is real and he is mighty. We sing it in a mighty fortress. On earth is not his equal. But for us fights the valiant one. Cling to Christ. For without him, before the might of the devil, we are a lost cause. Again, believe this. And sow this seed, lest you be found to be sowing nothing at all. And forget the grandfatherly lowercase g God who just looks the other way and lets our sin slide. God's justice is flawless. He will not and does not let sin slide. That would require him to be imperfect. You receive Christ's payment for your sins or you answer for them yourself. There is a hell. Scripture is pretty clear that most people are going to end up there. As you look forward positively, to the joys of heaven. Forget not the punishment you deserve and from which Christ has rescued you. As you have received, as you believe this,
so also warn others that they may escape the wrath to be revealed when our Lord comes again in glory. The church can no longer sleep while the enemy decimates us. Repent of your sins. Be strengthened and encouraged in the faith that I'm confident each of you already has. You are baptized. You are absolved. You have heard the word. You have received the seed of repentance and forgiveness of sins in the name of Christ. And in a moment, you will receive the very body and blood of Christ Himself for the forgiveness of your sins. Then, as recipients of this saving seed, I pray God have His use of each of you as distributors of that seed, delivering others from death to life, that they too may be forgiven and made co-heirs with us of the eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Amen. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.